0: Welcome to the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy. I'm Father Matthew Tomini, the rector here. And with me, celebrating is Father Anthony Gramlich. And we have some new faces here in August. Uh, We have our four novices, or who were the postulants the past year. You might notice you won't see them anymore as they're in novitiate, which is now in Steubenville. So pray for our novices, uh, Alex, uh, Mark, Philip, and Paul, and Nate. And uh, now we have some new postulants, four new postulants with us. One of them here, Thomas. And then we also have a seminarian assigned with us for the year, Brother Ryan, taking a break from studies for his apostolic year. And you'll see some new priests coming um, uh, in the upcoming months. We've had some transfers and uh, you know some even sad departures here, uh, one of which being... Uh, Father Gabe, who has now uh, gone to the Philippines to be a missionary there. So pray for uh, Father Gabe and his ministry there in the Philippines. Yesterday, we had Vietnamese Day here at the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy. Uh, Vietnamese community, beautiful community, came to celebrate divine mercy. And uh, they had the Bishop of Bridgeport, Connecticut come Uh, say the mass for them. And after their mass in the afternoon, there was a whole day affair. Uh, They invited the Marians to eat dinner with them out in the tents. And uh, Father Anthony and Father Marsh and I were talking with this wonderful couple who were telling us how they escaped from Vietnam back in the 1980s. The, The husband, the man said he was 24 at the time when he finally escaped on his eighth try. He had tried seven times escaping on a boat, uh, oftentimes with his sisters. He had six sisters, and he was the oldest of eight kids, so he would try to you know was trying to make sure they were all safe. And seven times they failed. They were caught. He slipped away, but he said uh, his, some of his sisters had to spend six months in jail, one time, a year in jail. Uh, You know, they were desperate to get out from Vietnam because of the restrictions going on there. They were craving for that freedom, and especially that freedom of religion. You know, the communist government would try to uh, do everything possible to stop them from practicing their Catholic faith, even trying to mandate that they work on Sunday so that they wouldn't sneak off, you know, be too exhausted to sneak off for uh, you know an underground mass, or one of the few you know masses that would, might be allowed, and so finally, he he made it. Uh, he made it with three of his sisters onto a boat, and this time they were able to escape from the shore, and they were in a 30-foot boat. Originally, it was only supposed to be 20 or 30 people, so they only packed enough supplies for uh, that mu- th- that many people. But as they were you know fleeing. It wasn't the authorities who caught them. It was other villagers who saw them and jumped in. So 100 people crammed into this 30-foot boat. They ran out of water in two days and uh, were just drifting in the ocean uh, with a small little motor, which they had to save fuel. And uh, the conditions were harsh. You know, his, his, his youngest sister, eight-year-old sister, he said, had passed out from the lack of water uh, but then, finally, a, uh, a rainstorm came and they were able to catch some water with a poncho and that su- helped them survive for another couple of days. Uh, and then they saw a Navy ship, a US Navy ship, and they were calling for help, desperate for assistance. But the Navy ship had a policy that they would only help those who were uh, stranded. And they saw that this boat still had a motor uh, that was functioning. so. They had to follow their policy and leave them alone. And they were, in that time, completely dependent on God, he said, you know, still carried by the waves. Eventually they saw an island, and they knew they had to make this island, even though it would be hard to fight the current with the motor that they had. And if they missed it, it would be another several days that they'd be stranded at sea. And so they were praying, and they finally made it. And on this island were 50 villagers from, uh, you know, of uh, Indonesia. And then eventually, you know, they were in a refuge camp for uh, almost a year, and then finally he made it to America. And as he was telling this story, it was just remarkable, you know, God's providence and those taking care of somebody, you know, on a, a journey, a desperate journey, as he was. And it made me think of the church as being on a boat towards a journey, towards the promised land, that land in which we enjoy our true freedom in heaven, that freedom to love God perfectly. And I was thinking of St. John Bosco's uh, dream, in which he saw the church as as a boat, St. John Bosco had a dream back in the 1860s that he told his, his uh, boys he saw the church as uh, a ship with all these other uh, smaller ships around it, you know, different other uh, smaller churches headed by different bishops and cardinals, and they were making their way towards you know, the promised land of heaven and in the midst of this vast sea he said he saw two pillars one pillar with a statue of our lady the immaculate conception and underneath inscribed on that pillar said mary help of christians and then the other pillar beside it had the eucharist a communion host and Underneath it inscribes the salvation of the world. And he saw these ships trying to get to these two pillars. Because as his dream continued, there was many, uh, many trials that this ship of the church would undergo. For one, was just the storms that it would endure. But even worse than that were these enemy ships that came to attack the ship of the church. And they would attack the ship with their cannons, their guns, and he said even books and pamphlets. And the pope, he saw, was leading that head ship. And at one point, though, the the pope was struck down He got up, though, and then he was struck down again, and he died, he said. But as soon as he passed away, there was another pope elected. And that ship still kept steering on, because they had God on their side. And eventually, they were able to anchor themselves to those two pillars, Mary and the Eucharist. And eventually, the the storms calmed down, and the enemies were completely, you know, their attacks were completely helpless against those two pillars. The church would be safe. The gates of hell would not prevail. So long as this church remained anchored to these two pillars, the Eucharist and Mary, and had the Pope to lead them. St. John Bosco said, these two pillars were key then for the church going through a difficult trial, for the church getting through those times in which its members might feel abandoned at sea, would be seasick from the storms, would be attacked and persecuted by others in their, those enemy ships. Jesus and the Eucharist. And he said even those attacks that come from others, we can interpret that as the media even, to, to stay away, to be on guard against the media promoting a culture of death with its information, right? What, what do books and pamphlets represent? Information. So we have to be careful on guard against what our society in the news or in Hollywood is gonna be promoting, not only for ourselves, but especially for our children in our society. Be very protective of these attacks, which are sneaking in. Jesus and the Eucharist and Mary are gonna be essential then for us enduring the persecutions we face, for us enduring and persevering in the midst of all that the church will go through and is even going through right now. What do that devotion look like? Well, for Mary, devotion to Mary would be to pray the rosary. Our Lady of Fatima says, pray the rosary daily, every day. She especially reminds us that in the 20th century because of what the Church would endure in the 20th century. In the 21st century, we still need to be praying the rosary every day. And then, consecration to Mary. If you haven't consecrated yourself to Our Lady, do so. There's different methods, St. Louis de Montfort, St. Maximilian Kolbe, 33 Days of Morning Glory, whichever way. And then, renew your consecration every day as well you know it doesn't have to be that long consecration prayer you did after preparing it can be a shorter version the marians so any marian helpers uh, confraternity members uh, can certainly join in but the marians we pray every morning my queen my mother i give myself entirely to you so forth and so on it's a shorter prayer of consecration so the rosary and consecration is what we need to be devoted to Our Lady to endure the storms the Church will endure. And then, devotion to the Eucharist. You know, if the Eucharist is one of those pillars St. John Bosco saw, how fitting then it is that our enemies attack the Eucharist, attack our devotion to the Eucharist. Hence, why the bishops have said, we need to have a Eucharistic revival because only 30% of Catholics were found to even believe in Jesus in the Eucharist, in America. You know The, the, the lack of reverence, the lack of devotion, the lack of, of fervent care for the Eucharist, even in the mass, has all been attacked. And so we need to renew our devotion to the Eucharist. And St. John Bosco said, a primary aspect of that is Holy Communion. And so going to Mass on Sunday, if something's holding us back from receiving Holy Communion, if we need to go to confession in order to be in the state of grace and to prepare to receive Jesus in the Eucharist worthily so we don't make a sacrilegious communion, which is a grave sin, then go to confession. Don't let anything hold you back from being united to Jesus in the Eucharist. Jesus wants to be in your heart. He desires to be united with you in Holy Communion. And try then to also receive Holy Communion as often as you can. That's what Pope Pius X encouraged. You know, we say in the Our Father every day, give us this day our daily bread, our supernatural bread our super substantial bread. We need the Eucharist even daily. And so if you can't go to daily mass, that's okay. You're not required, right? But maybe once a week, or if you can't go daily, at least try to make an act of spiritual communion every day. You know, maybe after praying to the Holy Spirit, consecrating yourself to Mary, make re-consecrating yourself to Mary every morning, also make an act of spiritual communion so jesus is with you that day invite him into your heart that he might be present with you in your daily activities key to getting through these trials then that the church faces is these two devotions and these two devotions will ultimately help us to answer the one central question of the gospel and that's the question we hear today in today's gospel that jesus asks of his disciples but who do you say that i am you know some people say john the baptist others elijah others jeremiah one of the prophets now those are all good people those are all venerable people to be compared with Jesus. But now, what do our society say? What does our society say Jesus is now? Nothing even like that. So many of the answers to that question of, who do you say that I am? There's so many errors and heresies to watch out for of, Jesus, because if we get who Jesus is wrong, then we will struggle to be united to him. We will struggle to love him. We will struggle to follow him, because we won't be following the true Jesus. So many in our society say, Jesus is just a nice guy who, after we do whatever we want in this world, will invite us into heaven, or Jesus, Is, uh, you know, just a great teacher offering a nice bunch of nice wisdom for us. Or Jesus is uh, just somebody who is going to help us build a, a better world in this earth, a better society. But no, Jesus is the one who has conquered sin and death. He is our Lord and Savior. He is the Son of God, the Son of the living God, who invites us to share in that communion with God. And he gives the keys of his kingdom to Peter. He provides, in a sense, a steward for his church to guide them in the murky waters that the church will face. Jesus revealed everything we needed to know, but he gave it to us in a seed form. All our divine revelation was complete, but he gave us it in a seed form and it needs to be developed. And it has developed over these past 2,000 years. And he's given us his apostles, and their successors, the bishops, and he's given us Peter as the pope and his successors in order to continue to guide us, to keep being our captains in our ship that we are in as the church. So that the problems of our times, the pope can provide clarity to dispel any confusion and, you know, a recent uh, you know, example of that is Paul VI. You know, the question of the time coming up, uh, you know, is contraception really okay? You know, maybe, maybe uh, we understand things better now. And Paul VI, you know, was able to provide that clarity, showing that the teachings of the church has not changed. You know, this is a, maybe a, uh, a modern problem and, you know, how does the divine law handle physical or chemical contraception? Well, Paul VI, as Pope, in union with the bishops, was able to provide that clarity. And so that's why, you know, we are blessed to have uh, the Pope and the bishops be able to lead us and provide that clarity to dispel any of that confusion, and to remind us that teachings of the church cannot contradict the teachings of the past. The teachings that Jesus has handed on to us, like that seed, evolves and grows, but it doesn't change into something completely different. These teachings are the truth, and Jesus is the truth. And Jesus is God, and God is eternal. The truth is eternal. Truth does not change just to fit our times. Truth does not change just because we think we understand better as a modern people who think we have progressed so much. Rather, we need to remain humble, knowing that God is the only one who knows all as we heard in our second reading, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor, who has given the Lord anything that he may be repaid? Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how inscrutable are his judgments and how unsearchable his ways. If there's any lack of understanding, it's not on God's part, it's on our part. And so if it's us, for us to do our duty and studying the faith, but also remaining steadfast in the faith, knowing that the truth will not change, the church teachings will not change in a substantial way. They might keep growing, it might be further clarified, but it will never completely change. If it's any lack of understanding, it's on our part. Our minds are nothing, to the mind of God. And then it is for us then to ask for the gift of faith that we might answer that question that Jesus asks of all of us. But who do you say that I am? That is the question we need to hold on to. That is the question that if our answer is right, then we will get through whatever persecutions, whatever trials we face together as a church. And that is why the devotion to the Eucharist And Mary is so essential. In the Eucharist, and Mary, we will be able to answer that question. Mary knows Jesus better than any other human. She will help us to answer who Jesus is as we meditate on the life of Christ in the rosary. And in the Eucharist, Jesus even asked that. You know, as the priest lifts up the host at Mass for you to adore and gaze upon that host, Jesus is asking, who do you say that I am? Hopefully, it's St. Thomas's reply, my Lord and my God. If we remain true to our answer with the gift of faith, then the Lord will provide everything we need to get us through the storms of our time on our journey as a church in the seas of this earth, that we might enjoy the kingdom of heaven forever.
1: Are you a Marian Helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses,